So welcome to the podcast uh, of Children's Hospice Southwest. I'm Heidi Roberts. I'm one of the area fundraisers at Children's Hospice Southwest. And I have with me here today the lovely Sarah Turnbull. She's one of our sibling workers at our Charlton Farm Hospice in Raxall. So I'm going to be interviewing Sarah today um, to bring to life um, how we support um, the wider family, the siblings. Um, but before I do, I just want to share a little bit of detail uh, to um, share around the hospice. So we have three hospices across um, the southwest. Um, our CEO, Eddie Farwell, with his late wife, Jill Farwell, founded Children's Hospice Southwest over 30 years ago. They had two children with life-limiting illnesses, and they used the only hospice in the UK, which was Helen House in Oxford. And one night, they decided that they would open the first hospice in the southwest, and they did that in 1995, and that was Little Bridge House in Barnstable. But it quickly became oversubscribed, and so they fulfilled their dream to have three hospices so that no child would travel more than an hour and a half to reach a children's hospice in the southwest. I think the key thing about this wonderful hospice or Children's Hospice Southwest is we care for the whole family. So it's not just about the child with life limiting or life threatening illnesses, it's about mum and dad and it's about the brothers and sisters because it's a difficult journey for them all and we need to support the brothers and sisters. Just to put into facts, in 2021-22, we were looking after 565 children and young people across the Southwest. 1,023 parents or carers, that's 1,023. And we look after 927 siblings um, when we were reporting in 2021-2022 financial year. That's an incredible amount of people that we support. And I'm going to go over now to Sarah to talk a bit more about the sibling care. Hi Sarah, it's Hello. lovely to have you here with me today. Lovely to be here. Um, can I just ask you a bit about the role of sibling worker? I don't think everybody understands what a sibling worker does. So could you bring that to life, please? Yes, of course. <laughs> um, well, as the name suggests, we are we have a sibling team and a care team. So the care team obviously deal with the family with um, the affected child, but the sibling quite often comes along with the family. Um, and if not, we'll support them at home. Um, through we do things like zooms, um, catch ups, those sort of things. But on an ordinary visit, when they come in, usually the family will have either a bit of their time, a bit of free time, um, where they could either take the other sibling out and do things with them that they don't get a chance to do day to day, or equally they can have some downtime and we will take the siblings. And a lot of families or parents who, when they first come to us, they don't realise that that, that is there for them. And they're very grateful and, oh, are you sure? It's absolutely, it's what we do. So, and luckily this morning, because I knew I was doing this podcast with you, and uh, I had a sibling with me this morning, and I said to her, I'm doing a podcast about siblings and what we do here, and I said to her, I suppose one of my main things would be, I'd like to say, I'm a listener. I have to be there to listen. And she said, and a responder, which I thought was really lovely. So I asked her permission oh, if I could lovely. use that. Because yeah, I thought that wonderful. was really lovely, that we do listen, and we're there all the time to, to listen to the needs of the families. But the fact that she said we respond to those needs, I thought was really lovely. Really special. So I thought that was a nice quote to bring in. Um, so she also said, she also used the word reliable. And I think what she means with that is that when they come, there's usually always, we like to have two on shift if we can, but there's always someone from the team. So that continuity is there. So the families might not come 
for months and months and months, obviously over COVID, they couldn't come in at all, unless there was obviously emergencies or end of life. Um, so there was a lot of space in between, but when they come, they know there's going to be someone. So there's five of us on the team. Um, at, at Chartner Farm, there's five of us. And we all come from different backgrounds, um, but and we're all very diverse with our things that we like to do. And the siblings get to know, oh, you're the one that likes to do Lego, or you're the one that likes to do tie-dye T-shirts. or So... The siblings know our strengths, um, and as a team, there's always someone that can be there to respond, as she put. Um, so, and also, as well, I think, with all of us, we have that underlying humour that keeps us going. It's, you could look at it as a distraction. Some children just want a distraction. They want to come here and, and not have to worry that they've got to wait and they can't go to certain things because of their, their sister or brother, and because the family has to always prioritise. Um, but what I find on the back of that is that the siblings we work with are very empathetic and they have qualities that, and I often say this to the siblings, that they have qualities that maybe other children don't have that benefit of because they haven't had to be a patient brother, a patient sister. And I think it's know? so special that Children's Hospice Southwest do have these sibling professionals yeah. there to support families because those brothers and sisters do have to do things differently to yeah. other children that don't have a brother or sister with life-limiting or life-threatening yeah. illnesses. And, you know, we really do appreciate that here and we have a wonderful messy play Sarah we do although yeah. I've been in it today and it wasn't really messy I think Sarah had been in it but we're very fortunate to we have do. Yeah. that room we have a lovely room and again as the name suggests it's messy play um, and we literally there's, there's no boundaries in there really we can do whatever I mean a lot of the um, children with sensory needs actually from with the family will come in and do things with care team but with siblings a lot of the time in there is possibly memory making too um, we do things perhaps together, lots of handprints. Uh, we actually have a whole wall in our messy plate covered with handprints that children put on over the years. They, they put the, the time they've done it, they put their name, and then they come back and say, oh, there's my handprint. Wasn't and, it um, one of our uh, children that decided she wanted to have that tree on the wall and leave her mark, and she put yes, her first yes, handprint? absolutely. It's just beautiful, yeah. and it's taking over the whole of the wall, yes. really, in messy yes. plate now. Absolutely. Um, a real masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things we do. Um, I was thinking of a few things this morning. I was thinking about this. Messy play really is we've got so many things and the children come in and their first thought is, wow, what can I do? So we've got the likes of, you know, obviously the basics, the felt pens, the craft, but we've also got clay. We've got um, uh, canvases that the children can do either together or separately. Um, and actually now as we speak, the sibling I was with this morning is with her mum because she knows I'm busy doing this. And mum said, oh, I don't get to do this at home, which was yeah, lovely. really said, special. Captured it for me because as I walked in, I said, I won't be long. I'm just going to pop up. Um, and she said, oh, do you know what? This is lovely because I wouldn't do this with her at home. So actually, although we're there to support the siblings, we're also there to encourage mum and dad to say, actually, do you know what? You can come in as well. Yes. And you we know. were talking um, about that earlier today. That, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes mum might go and make, it, make some cards or yeah. have some down time to reflect and think and have some me time for her yeah um and I think what's really special um you know I've been with the charity over three years now is um that we're there to create precious memories for the families and and that's what you're helping to do yeah. with the siblings um, I think as well it was um, making a connection was one of the things that came up as well that I was talking to her this morning and making a connection was really really obvious during Covid time um, because obviously we couldn't have people in but there was no reason why we couldn't keep that connection. So we would send out, we sent out emails to say, look, if you need support or you would just like us to have a Zoom with your child, 
with the sibling. So we would set up Zooms and we'd be we obviously know the child because we've made those connections. So we'd be sort of, oh, do you remember when we played this? And we've done puppet shows over Zoom. We've done, and sometimes it's more emotional support. That child yes. say, actually, I'm struggling at school. And so we help with that as well. So. But I think what's amazing, it was, um, you know, we were in bubbles um, mm. during the pandemic. Mm. We still had families in throughout the um, yeah. period of the yeah. pandemic. Um, we changed our care model um, to hospice home and virtual. And you were still there for resilient stays That's for right. those families yes. that really yes. needed you. Yeah. Um, and you were there for the brothers and sisters who were um, going through that end of life with their families on a really difficult journey. And I know, Sarah, you did an incredible piece for us um, at an event in April about the importance of storytelling to your children. Yes. And it, I, I, it was so special. You were talking about how special books are. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about that, please? Yeah. Um, well, I was asked to do the event, and it was a bit, bit like this. Tell us about how storytelling or how the work you do with the sibling actually happens. How to bring it to life, like you said. So I thought, because it was about storytelling, that I would write it in story form. So I wrote a story, but it's basically around a journey, and I based it on a family, um, about their journey as they arrive, and how this particular sibling did love her books. So that's the thing, straight away to connect with, because of her books. So we had some familiar books that she used to have had at home, that straight away there was a connection. And then it became, because that family's journey was fairly long uh, with us, um, they stayed with us quite a few, quite a few weeks, but what was lovely is we built a routine of story time. So she obviously had story time with mum and dad still at night. But before we finished our play sessions, we'd always sit, possibly in soft play, on a beanbag. And she was tired at the end of the day. And we'd do our story. And what we could do also then is start to, as they were getting to their um, end of their journey, as it were, um, we would start introducing books like The Invisible String, those sort of books, books around child bereavement, because she's already engaging with stories. Um, and then from the stories, we found ideas like, let's do a puppet show. Let's do So from the characters we've been reading, that would lead on to other things. Yeah, and help her um, to express things. Yes. So she could talk sort of through the puppets. Or she used um, baby dolls, and she would be the mum. So she would be, and I would, I would use the voice of the baby, asking her things that she perhaps wanted to ask her mum. Um, and mum was great. We, we, took, we would feed back to mum every night, and she, she mentioned this, she mentioned that. So mum and dad were aware of, our sort of conversations and where she needed support. It's incredible the power of storytelling. And she loved it anyway. So yeah. It was, yeah it was. I do think we always um, realise the impact of storytelling. Yeah. You know, from such a young age, we're telling stories to our children, and it's those traditional stories. It's a familiar thing, yes, isn't yes, it? yes. And they think, okay, this is a comfort session. This is now where I unwind, where I listen. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, because all the rest of the time, obviously, there's lots of action going on. Um, yeah. But yeah, so a lot of emotional support comes through the stories. Yes. So Amazing. you know we can revisit the same story, and then as it gets to the point where we need to reinforce that and repeat these. You remember we talked about that in that book, and it brings it back. Yes. So it's yeah. wonderful. It really been, amazing. Yeah. Very powerful. Um, as we record this, we are approaching um, the festive season. Um, what What's it like? Um, you know, in that run up um, to the festive season, um, Sarah. Well. I'd like to say it's always amazing here because it is, um, but you know, it's all, there's always something good happening. There's always something we do with our families. Uh, leading up to Christmas, we have a in our particular hospice we have a, a long, long corridor which has got glass over the side, and that's always painted. So that's painted for different reasons through the year. But Christmas, it's always done in the Christmas and winter scene. Um, we've also got some charity things that I think you know much more about than I do because that's your thing. But we have um, Santas on bikes, and yes. Santa, Santa on the run, yeah, both of those, and Santas in helicopter. Santa in helicopter. So um, Santa comes in all. 
sorts of transport well, to Children's yeah. Hospice South West. I do remember he came a couple of years ago, we were here and we had a few children in and he came in a helicopter and it was extremely, extremely stormy day. Poor Santa was hanging on. He was literally <laughs> hanging on to the door. I have this vision now, We were getting blown and the helicopter um, propellers yeah. were going and we were being blown and he, bless him, was hanging on and going, Happy Christmas! Uh, it was lovely. Incredible. And the children were screaming with delight. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and yeah. I think that's the atmosphere we create here. Last yeah. year we um, turned our lounge into Lapland for a family. We, we had snow yeah. um, going everywhere. That was very special. We did yes. do that. And yeah. Santa, because they couldn't go to visit Santa, he came to us. Yes. And he spent the whole afternoon making reindeer biscuits with that he family. He does spend a lot of time here. And I think it's the homemade cakes, I Sarah. Think it might be. Yes. It's been wonderful speaking to you today, Sarah. It's a pleasure. um, Pleasure. You know, just talking about books and things, we're very lucky to be supported by a wonderful children's author, Will Hamilton Davis, and his Shrew with the Flu. I understand he's hoping to pop in, um, all being well between Christmas and New Year. and uh, we hope to share his story with you too. But I just want to say a huge thank you, um, Sarah, um, to you and all the sibling workers across our three hospices and to all our care team. What you do is incredible. Um, I also want to say a huge thank you to our supporters, particularly the Rotary Club. Um, um, absolutely amazing support to us. Um, so it's wonderful to do this podcast today. Um, I think Sarah and I really enjoyed interview- yes. <laughs> <laughs> having a chat me interview. So thank you very much for listening. The Shrew with the Flu, written by Will Hamilton Davies, illustrated by Jennifer Davidson and read by Emily Hobbs-Wall. Nestling under a leafy tree, a greedy shrew could hardly see. His eyes were small, his sight was bad, but what a nose this small shrew had. His long, long thin snout would smell the way to find his food from day to day. Across the forest floor he went, seeking out his food by scent. But on one day, between the trees, where morning sun broke through the leaves, Shrew had left his usual trail, tracking down a scrumptious snail. He had the flu, his nose was blocked. Into rocks and trees he knocked. He had bad sight and now no smell. And as he ran, he tripped and fell. A branch had fallen from a tree. This worm will have to be my tea, the small shrew said and ate a stick, which left him feeling rather sick. He gobbled up what was still there, then looked for extra food elsewhere. Yum, a woodlouse, my favourite lunch. Shrew wondered why there was no crunch. Small shrew had eaten nothing more than damp black dirt straight from the floor. He thought he'd found a centipede. This is exactly what I need, he said and took a massive bite. A little plain, but quite all right. He'd always eaten like a king, but now this shrew was eating string. He wanted nuts, a fly, a steak, some bees or ants, a nice long snake. He was unsure of what to do. Then in an instant, small shrew knew. He didn't have to use his smell. His ears could hear bugs just as well. The bees would always buzz around. The snake would make a hissing sound. The crickets chirped. The birds would sing. This shrew could hear everything. He munched on beetles, ants and flies of every shape and every size. He filled his belly to the top. 
but now this shrew just could not stop. He'd eaten mud and twigs and string, and now he would not spare a thing. He'd munched on all the food he could and ate his way through half the wood. By the time his nose had cleared, his forest food had disappeared. What have I done? shrieked Greedy Shrew. This isn't the place that I once knew. He couldn't smell delicious bugs like bees and ants and worms and slugs. He ate them all while he was ill, and now his livelihood was still. Perched upon a mossy rock, Shrew was sad. He sat in shock. His nose was clear, his eyes were wide. He felt a sadness deep inside. This was not his happy home. Without the bugs, he felt alone. He knew he had to do some good to try and save this lovely wood. Shrew began to think and share and think about the world with care. He scattered seeds and helped the bees by caring for the plants and trees. Nature soon began its fight, bouncing back with all its might. The bugs returned, the bushes grew, berries glistened red and blue, and little shrew forever knew the good that little deeds could do. When hunting, he was twice as speedy, but never again was this shrew greedy.